open us up in prayer, and then I want us to start just diving into the Scripture tonight. We're going to do a quick review first of where we were at last week. I see we've got a a good crowd um, with us tonight, and I don't want anyone who might have missed out last week to feel like you may be slightly behind because where we pick up tonight is going to be just kind of riding the coattails of what we talked about last week, which was pretty uh, a pretty awesome passage of text. We're just going to briefly read back over that after we pray, uh, and then we'll uh, pick up and, and run with it. Um, so first I want us to pray, uh, opening up in prayer, thank God that He's allowed us to be here and, and uh, to be in good health if we're in good health, and if not, that He would help us through that. And for those who might not have been able to make it here tonight, because their health is... Uh, not allow them to. I want us to remember them, that God would just touch them, heal them, that we would be the kind of church that would encourage those uh, who have not been able to make it uh, to fellowship with us. Because fellowshipping among believers is is an important part of, of uh, what why God has brought us together as a church. So let's pray. Uh, let's open up praying for all of that. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you've allowed us to come here tonight. I thank you that you... Uh, have seen fit to use me. I pray, God, that um, I would always be faithful to Your Word, that I would be true to Your Word. Uh, I ask that Your Holy Spirit would move in this place tonight, moving our hearts to refine us. If we, uh, if there's anyone among us who does not know You or or does not have their faith cemented in You, I pray that Your Holy Spirit would move in that way tonight through the presentation of. Your gospel, this is such a critical and beautiful passage of text that we covered last week that we're going to continue covering tonight. I just ask that you would remove me and my inabilities out of the way and that your Holy Spirit would move through the reading and preaching of your word in such a way that it would have a changing effect on us, that you would sanctify the believer and that you would save the lost through it. For the sick that were not able to be with us tonight, God, I should ask a special prayer uh, for them. I know many of them uh, would do whatever it would take to be here, but they've been hindered by whatever illness uh, has come upon them. And I just pray uh, especially for them. Uh, for our shut-ins, let us never forget them. They uh, have been and are a part of our church. Uh, and let us always be a church who is ministering uh, to to those who are a part of us and that we would share the gospel uh, to those who are not yet a part of us. Uh, I thank you for Christ. I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for bringing us here tonight that we could uh, share in it. It's in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. So I want us to go back and we're just going to read chapter 3 verse 20. We're going to start in verse 21. And we're going to read to the end of chapter 3. We're not going to say too much about it, except I'm going to point out two things that are going to, be, that are going to kind of carry over into tonight's, uh, into tonight's sermon um, that I want us to, to have uh, kind of, that, that I want us to bring into our, our remembrance that just would be fixed in our minds. Um, so let's start verse 21 of chapter 3. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction, 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because His divine forbearance had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By the by a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is He not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will, also, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So, first thing that I want to tell you, if you weren't here last week, I would ask you to go back after we leave tonight and spend some time in this passage of text. This passage of text holds a particular truth that Scripture gives to us that is life-changing. Quite literally life-changing. The truth that we find in this passage of text is, in fact, the only truth that is truly, genuinely life-changing. The truth that's housed within this text, which we're going to further explore tonight, is the truth that sets us apart from all other faiths. That sets us apart as the Protestant church from our Catholic brothers and sisters. Right? It is this passage of text... It is this book that sparked the Reformation. And the truth that is housed within this text is what? I want to I put that out there. What truth do we find in this text? I want you to think about it. I want, this is why I'm asking this, because I want somebody to say it. What's the truth? What are we getting at here? Christ's righteousness revealed how? This is an important question. Is it Christ's righteousness by us trying to do what the law is telling us to do? Do we obtain righteousness by working through the law? By checking off a list of what to do and what not to do? No. Then how is Christ's righteousness achieved? Through faith in His righteousness, through faith in the finished work of Christ. Last week we explored this, and we saw that it's really more than just Him dying on the cross. It's more than that. And that's exactly why He didn't just clouds part, Jesus is an adult, come down, nail to the cross, die, raise again, right? We find a particular truth that we explored last week that I think is critical. Christ lived a life, 33 years, 
that you never could have lived. Christ is the end of the law. And I'm not saying the end is though you put it away now and it has no place. But what was the end in the mind of the Jew? What was the end of the law? It was righteousness. Christ is righteousness. And Christ does for us. Gives to us what we never could achieve for ourselves. What we never could work for or strive for because of who we are. We are sinners and we sin. So when we look at the law, we see how sinful we are. Not how good we can be. Right? Not how good we can be. When you open up God's Word and you flip through the Old Testament, you see a lot of stuff you can't do. And it wasn't placed there so that you would think that you could do it. It was to show you that righteousness cannot come from you. And last week we explored this idea that what Christ does for us is one better than making us like Adam and Eve. For those of you who were here, you'll remember that. For those of you who weren't, we'll kind of cover that again. What Christ has done has not been to just merely clean your slate and give you a fresh start. I want you to think about this. That's what Adam and Eve had. Before the fall, a clean slate, no sin. But I want to tell you this, that they were not righteous, because if they were righteous, they would not have fallen. And if any of us placed in that same spot of clean, without sin, what would you have done? You would have fallen just like they have fallen. Christ is something different. This is an alien righteousness. This is a righteousness that we cannot manifest of our own doing. And it has been given to us in the cross. Right? Something that you could not achieve has been given to you. And you receive it how? By faith in it. In Him. In the work that He has done. This is the Gospel. So that at the cross, you receive His righteousness, not a clean start. When God doesn't, when you come and ask Him to forgive you, to redeem you, to save you, He does not just clean you up. He makes you something new. Right? Something you could never be without Him. You are imputed the very righteousness of God. And Christ on the cross is imputed your sin. So that at the cross we find God just because sin never could go unpunished. And we find that God is the only justifier because only in Him Only in Christ are we to hope for justification before God. And this comes not by you working for something. Not by you checking off a list of things to do and not do. This comes at the work of Christ. And it is received by you when you believe in that work. When you believe that in fact Christ has finished it. So no longer do you fear 
that you will not measure up before God. That you are not good enough because you never were, never could be. But God chose freely to see you as He sees Christ. If you believe in the work of Christ. This is the Gospel that we've been covering. And, if it does not strike you as strange, if it does not strike you as something absolutely foreign to your nature, then you have been, by and large, brainwashed. Because this is, in fact, something strange and unusual. Because what this says is it's not about what you can do. It actually says you never could. It's about what God did. Every other religion on the face of this planet and many even within the church do a you work to God, but what we find is that you never sought after God. God sought after you. And this is very strange. And this had become very, very, very strange to the Jews, this idea of justification by grace alone, in faith alone, in Christ alone. Right? This idea had become very, very foreign to them because the Jew... Instead of looking at the law, seeing that they could not measure up, resting in the promise that God had given year after year, time after time throughout God's Word in the Old Testament, that He would fulfill this promise, that He would do these things. Instead of resting in that, hoping in that, relying in that, they instead looked at it as something to be worked towards. So now we find Paul, and in the entire chapter 4 we're going to find this. We're going to split it up into two parts. Uh, The first part we're going to cover 1 through 12 tonight. And then uh, next week we're going to cover 13 through the end. We're going to find Paul addressing this. So just kind of practically what we find Paul doing is Paul provides an argument for grace. And that's what we covered last week. And now he provides an example of grace. Right? So practically in our lives, as I look at this and I think about presenting the gospel, I want to, I want to, I want to do that same thing. Right? I want to present the gospel and we, as we share the gospel, we want to present the gospel and we want to give example of the gospel. First and foremost, where should those examples come from? Should I be making up stories that make you laugh or making up stories that kind of fit the point? What does Paul do here? We're going to see him talking about Abraham. He pulls something from Scripture. Not in any way saying that using stories or analogies are something bad, right? They have their place. But one thing that we should look for when we teach the gospel, we should use the gospel. We should open this thing up, right? Because it's not going to be my words that change your heart. It's not going to be my words by which the Holy Spirit moves. It's going to be God's words. So, just as a practical point for us preachers, when we want the gospel to stick, let us present God's Word. Be faithful to God's Word in that, right? Even day-to-day lives as we're going out and we're sharing the gospel with our friends and our families, just practically, let's, let's do that. Let's, let's uh, use God's Word as an example. Second there, um, just want to pull out of this, is that our lives should be an example such as this. Right? We claim faith. What we're going to see here is an example of that very faith. 
So when we claim this faith as Christians and we go out into the world, let it, let, I just want to encourage you to live, let that, let that faith be lived out in your day to day. Just practically take that with you. You believe and work should flow forth from that belief, right? Like if you, if you believe in something, it doesn't have no effect on you. So if you truly have faith in Christ, it will have an effect on your life. He promise you this. Scripture testifies to this, and we're going to get to that as we kind of push through. But I want us to think about for the Jews, because Abraham or Abraham here is, is kind of the top guy, right? Like if you're thinking from the Jewish culture, the Jewish perspective, and you're running this thing back in time, who's the biggest name that you could think of? Right? Father Abraham. Right? So Paul, in supporting this argument, for justification by faith alone, goes back to Abraham. So this is what he's doing here. We've already presented the, the, the kind of core, central starting point of the Gospel, and now he's going to give an example of how this is not a new thing, right? Dustin's been, the last couple of times that he's preached, he's, he's gone into the Old Testament and he's looked at some different accounts, some different stories, and from this, he's kind of shown that these things point towards Christ. I want us to understand that all of Scripture is testifying to Christ, right? I think John Piper said that, that all great heroes are just shadows of Christ. All stories we're telling in some way draw from the story of Christ. So, Scripture itself has been testifying. We looked at that last week, right? Where we look at chapter 3 and we look at verse 21, where, uh, or 22, uh, no, it's 21, uh, the tail end of it. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, right? So, the law and the prophets have been bearing witness to this truth all along. Now he's going back to the start of Israel, right? Where God sets Abraham apart. Right? So if they were going to look to someone who was going to do it by works, right? Someone who had done it, who had made it, who had fought the good fight, who had lived that life worthy of righteousness. If they were going to look to someone, who would be that person to look to? It would be Abraham. Right? So what Paul's going to do as he's kind of using Abraham as the example is that he's going to show that faith has always been the way that it was. That if you think that it's something other than faith, then you have misunderstood what God's been doing all along, right? He's going to show here that the gospel was plan A from the beginning. That faith in God was the point all along. And that men went wrong when they thought that they could work towards righteousness. Because never could they. Never could we. Verse 1, chapter 4. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? I want to ask you, what was gained? What was gained? According to the flesh. What was gained? Nothing was gained according to the flesh. We're going to see this. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. Now, we go back to where we left off in verse 27 last week. What then becomes of our boasting? Chapter 3, verse 27, Paul asked that question. What then becomes of our boasting? 
Can we boast in where we come from? What could Abraham boast about in his flesh? Nothing. Nothing. This is fundamental, especially for anyone who would have been a descendant of Abraham, because if he couldn't do it, and if it wasn't done by works by him, then why would I ever think that I would do it that way? Why would you ever think that you would do it that way? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Verse 3. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God, and he is here quoting Scripture. Most of your Bibles likely have footnote that you can go back into Genesis and you can see where this was quoted from. And we've read it a couple of weeks back. So I'm not going to go there now. So we see that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So supporting this with the example of Abraham's life, we find what? When we look back throughout the Old Testament, What will you find? What will you find, church? Faith alone in the God who makes and keeps His promises. From the very beginning, I would like, and I wish you would, if you would go back through the Old Testament, and, and I'm sure as Dustin continues preaching, he'll probably, the next time he preaches, will probably be another example from the Old Testament that points to Christ. You know what you are going to find as you search through the Old Testament, time and time again, story after story. Do you know what it's going to be testifying about? It's going to be testifying about the work of Christ in everything. Every page of this book, in some way, points towards the work of Christ. Check it out. Open it up. Read it. Explore it for yourself. You're going to find this time and time and time again. There is no account, there is no individual that you would be able to look to and not see this to be absolutely true. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but has as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. I'm going to read that again. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies. Who justifies? Who, how many can justify? Only God. If I say that, who can justify you? Is there any other one? Is there any exception? Is there any other hope outside of that? Then what if someone has never heard of it? What if they have never heard this gospel preached? What if we sit still 
in our pews knowing this truth when men and women and children may die today, the Gospel never having been presented to them. How does that look to us? I want it to be practical for you. I want it to be something that you can apply to your lives. Because many of us, we may talk about how we want messages to be practical. What can I get out of it? But when you hear what it is, you don't want to hear it. One cannot be saved apart from faith in Christ. So what if they never hear it? What then? They die in their transgressions and they stand before God who would send His Son not simply to wash His hands in some water somewhere or not simply to wash your feet, but to be murdered on a cross. Who put Christ forward? Who put Him forward? What does Scripture tell us? Verse 25 of chapter 3, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. So if sin is so serious that the only way to appease the wrath of God would be in the death of Christ, then what hope does the the sinner have if they never hear the Gospel? As though God is just willy-nilly with sin. As though God is not just. He is just. And He's also the justifier. You, You want some practical takeaway? What I want us to get out of this as we dig through the Gospel, as we see just how important it is, just how it should permeate through each and every aspect of our lives, whether it's work, whether it's school, whether it's grocery shopping, whether it's driving down the road, what I want you to get from this is that you have life here for people who are dying without it. You want purpose for your life. You have the hope, the only hope, that can save lives. The only hope. You have plan A. And let me tell you, there is no plan B. Verse 5, and to the one who does not work, but believes in Him who justifies. And He doesn't just justify those who are worthy of it. What does Scripture say? That He justifies the ungodly. And that is a good thing. Friends, that is an absolutely good thing. But because before you received this alien righteousness, before you received the righteousness of Christ in your faith, this was you. He justified you, and you were ungodly. So it is a good thing that He does not just justify the good, or the okay, or the moderate, but that He in fact justifies the ungodly, because that is every single one of us before we place our faith in Christ. His faith 
is counted as righteousness. The end of that verse, chapter 5 there. And I want to present this, and we've got a ton of, ton of text to go through over the next coming weeks and months or however long, but I want us to just kind of sit and think of this. He said it twice already. We covered it last week. I want us to look at, and I'm going to say simple. I'm not going to say easy. There is, I, I, I distinguish a difference between simple and easy. Simple, I would say there's not a lot of moving parts. Something is simple if there's not a lot of moving parts. Like, for example, like uh, we've got a mission team that's going to be flying to Honduras. The flight to Honduras is fairly simple, right? You get on a plane and you fly to Honduras. It doesn't take a lot of explaining to get that. There's a thing with wings and it goes. But that ain't easy. Because somebody had to build planes. And somebody had to dig up metal out of the earth. And somebody had to know to put all this stuff together. So simple's not always easy. But I want us to get the simplicity of this. That it can be stated this concisely. His faith is counted as righteousness. Faith is counted as righteousness. How how simple. Who among us can't understand that? Maybe I would say I can't get the depth of that. Like that is some craziness to chew on. But when I tell you that you place your faith in Christ... In the work that He has done. That's not beyond any of you. You don't have to first go to seminary to get that. It doesn't take seven years of being educated. If you believe that you can't, and Christ did. If you believe that you can't, and Christ did. And you hold to that. So that when doubt comes your way, that doubt passes by because you're standing firm that I don't get it sometimes. This life can seem crazy sometimes, but I'm holding. I'm holding to the truth that Christ did what I could not do. Do you know what that counts for? Righteousness. Do you get how huge that is? That you don't have to have a big education so that you can go out into your workplaces and share this truth. You don't have to wait until we get to the end of Romans to feel like, now I've got it. Now I know enough. Now I can do it. It really is that straightforward. It really is that simple to understand. To, to grasp it and hold on to it. I think that's probably not as easy. Because I think sometimes our lives come with things that we'd rather hold on to than it. He goes on. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one whom God counts righteous apart from works. How many times do we have to be told? How many times do we have to be told this truth? I see three times now just in the opening verses of chapter 4. God counts righteous. And sometimes we, sometimes we wonder. Sometimes we worry. This is why sometimes if I were to ask you who among you are righteous, that you'd feel like, man, I ain't going to raise my hand up 
Too many other people. I'm righteous, friends. I'm righteous. You, if you believe in this, are righteous. Not of your own righteousness. Not of your own works. But God has counted you righteous. And if you say, nah, do you know who you're calling a liar in that? Do you know? Do you let that sink in? When you doubt who He has made you and who He is making you into. When you question, shouldn't it be happening faster than this? Shouldn't I already be there? Why should I still be dealing with these troubles in my life? Don't question what God has told you. Do you believe that Christ finished it? That it's satisfied in the work that He has done? Then God has counted you righteous in that. No matter what your past looks like, no matter how many times you stumble and you fall, God has counted you as righteous. And the one who has started this faith will end it. I want you to know He's faithful in that. I want you to know that He's not going to get you part of the way and then let you go. I want you to know He he didn't start it to be like, well, I can't finish that one up. He's counted you from the get-go, from the moment that you first believe righteous. And He's working that out in you. Do you get that? That it's not that one day you will be able to say that. It's not that one day He will see you as righteous. Sometimes we think about our faith like that. Sometimes we think about, like, he, you know, one day when I get there, man, he's go- one day He's going to be proud of me. One day, I'm, one day I know it. One day I'm going to work there. I'm going to get there. Do you hear that? Do you hear what we say? Do you hear what we tell ourselves? Like, we are the ones that are working. Like, we are the ones that are doing this. Like, it is by our works and not by the works of Christ. It is by the work of Christ and you place your faith in it and you are immediately counted as righteous before God. And something starts in your life. Something starts in your life that is absolutely supernatural. I want you to get this, that the life of a Christian, there's much of it that's natural. There's much of it that looks normal. You're going to work like you worked before. You're going to have to eat like you ate before. Right? You don't become a ghost upon believing. But there is a major aspect of your life that is so supernatural that carries you forward into this righteousness that has been declared over you from the beginning. God counts righteous apart from what? Apart from works. Do we get that? Do we understand that? Do you? Has that sunk in for you? Has it sunk in for you? Sometimes we don't live that out, I don't think. Sometimes we live it out like like our righteousness depends very much on our works. Right? But this righteousness is declared over you by God Himself. And it is apart from works. He quotes Scripture again, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and those whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count. His sin. How beautiful is that? How beautiful is that passage of text? That God 
Does, I want to ask you this, though. Does He let your... And you should know this. You should be able to answer this one quickly. God doesn't count your sin against you as a believer. Why does He not count that sin against you? Because of the cross. Because of what Christ has done. He doesn't count it against you because it was counted on the cross. Right? That's how it's done. That's how it works. It doesn't just get swept under the rug. It gets settled completely. Right? It gets settled completely. I want us to get that. I want us to understand that. Sometimes I think we overlook that. So that's an example that he's shown here in uh, the life and account of Abraham that points to this idea of justification by faith alone. God counted him righteous. Verse 3, faith is counted as righteousness. Verse 5, God counts righteousness apart from sin. Verse 6, how are you counted as righteous? Friends, how are you counted as righteous? Faith in Christ alone. Why can we do that? Why can we rest in that? Because Christ has finished it. Understand that. Your faith is in something. Not just abstract, but in something very, very real. The life, the death, the resurrection, and the hope that we will join Him in that resurrection. Our our faith is fixed in this. We hope in this. Now verse 9. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised? Or also for the uncircumcised? He does this again. Right? Using Adam, or using Abraham as this example, last, last week we looked at faith alone, Christ alone, put forward by God alone. This does what for this news and this message? It opens it up, not just to the Jew, but to the world. It's to be carried unto the world. Now again, that second part that this gospel is for everyone, he's going on to support this in the life of Abraham. Again, go look at the Old Testament. If you ripped out of my Bible the New Testament and sent me out into the mission field, I can preach Christ with nothing but the Old Testament. That's what's being done here in the New Testament. We find them time and time again preaching Christ from the Old. So arm yourself with both the old and the new. It's all about Christ. It's all pointing towards Him. Focusing in on Him. Verse 9. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteous. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? Now y'all may not know this. Right? You may not have read the account. You may not be acquainted with this. And apparently many of the Jews had missed this point also. Right? But go back and look at the account. Fact check me on this. When was Abraham counted righteous? Before circumcision. 
Are we talking today? Are we talking, like, is this something that could be confused? Like, is this something that he was like, I believe, and then that afternoon they're like, circumcision, done. No, there was some amount of time. At least 14 years passes by. From between the point in time where he's declared righteous because of his faith, and the time in which the covenant is sealed or the sign is given, which is referred to later as circumcision. 14 years, at least, passes by. What does this mean? What does this mean? Because circumcision for the Jew was kind of, that was the identity of who we are, right? And then when they rewind it back, where does it stop? Abraham, right? Rewind it back, that's the guy that he kind of got picked out. And apparently they thought it was because he was something special. They said God picked him out for God's purposes, right? We sometimes get things clouded and confused when it's about us, right? Like, I'll make much to do about my dad if it makes me look good. Where is he? There he is. If it doesn't, what are we going to do? Shh. Don't tell nobody. Right? Well, Abraham was one of those descendants you'd want to tell somebody about. And then we rewind it back. We look at this thing and what happens? He's righteous for 14 years before he gets circumcision. What does that mean? Paul goes on to tell us what that means. It was... Not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Why was all of this? Why would there be some time of waiting? Why was he circumcised before? These are all questions that would be valid to ask and would be validly answered in the text that comes up. The purpose, the purpose. So if you wonder... Why God didn't do it first? If you wonder why God didn't say, I'm going to make promises to you and you're going to be circumcised first and then you're going to believe in those promises. If you wonder why anything was ordered in the way that it was ordered. Here we go. The purpose. Whose purpose? God's purpose. The purpose was to make Him the Father of all who believe without being circumcised. So that righteousness would be counted to them as well. Now, how is righteousness counted? We've covered it multiple times in the text. Tonight, by God, through what? Faith in what? Christ. For who? Is it for the Jew only? So that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make Him the Father... Of the circumcised who are not, oh, excuse me, let me back up. And to make him father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. I want you to get this that he supports in the example of Abraham salvation through. Faith provided by the grace of God in the work of Christ. To be received by faith alone and not by works apart from the law. And He has done this for who? Everyone. Everyone. And this, get this, this was not something new 
that came about at the start of the New Testament. Right? This was not something new. This is something that had been playing out all along. All people. All along. All people. All along. You want to get that truth? And this is where I say all Scripture points to Christ. Go look at some genealogies. Look at the way that the New Testament starts off with genealogies. You know what you're going to find in there? People who were not Jews. In the very bloodline from which the Savior of the world would come. If He wasn't telling us all along that this was something bigger than one single people group. The Gospel is for all. Practically, I want us to ask ourselves, are we sharing it with any? Are we? What does it take? Let's review and we'll close. What does it take to be righteous? Faith in what? In Christ alone. Who put forward Christ? God, did we ask for Christ? No. We sought not after God. God sought us out. And He continues to do that today. He continues that. He sought us out in Christ. Christ sent preachers out into the world. You are here today because someone before us was faithful to that call. And before I sound defeatist on you, whether or not we get down to two, He will continue doing this. He will finish His work. We can be a part of it. As a church, as individuals, you can be a part of it. But I want to tell you this, if every single one of you decided that you're not going to do this thing anymore, when those of us who believe stand Before the throne of God, do you know what we're going to hear? We're going to hear the song coming from the lips of every tribe, every nation, and every tongue. And it cannot fail. Because He cannot fail. Let's be a part of that. Let's be a part of that. As a church, as individuals, let's... Let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank You for this day. I thank You, Lord, for You. You are so holy and You are so worthy of praise. You are so just, God. None could stand before You and not be guilty if it were not for You. The justifier who count us not only is good, Not only is clean. Lord, when you look at us, you see us with the righteousness of Christ. And I am blown away by that. And Lord, from that, Lord, I will preach your word to the very last breath that you give me to breathe. And I ask that You would use me, and that You would use this church in a way that we could, in some small way, bring You the glory that You are due. 
God, thank You for Christ. I pray that You would shape us as Christians. That every aspect of our lives would revolve around You. Because without You, we have no hope. But within You, Lord, You cannot fail. I trust in that. I believe in that. It's for Your glory. For the name of Christ. Amen.